This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Talking about discipleship, we're on a journey together and we started last week. Uh, how many of you were in church last week? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of you are not in church last No, 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 we're not going to condemn anybody. But just pretend you were. Um, so, from the word go, church was never supposed to just be a bunch of events or nice things that we do. Um, but God said, go into the nations, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, go into the nations, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, it is this exciting journey, but it is a massive challenging journey if you don't know that God has called you to be a disciple and to make disciples. So that means you need to follow God and then you need to lead other people to to grow in Christ. And our purpose is to become like Jesus, is to reflect Him in a broken world out there. I remember walking in Rwanda one day and this, um, just after this massive, basically genocide of almost a million people that got killed and we walked into this museum area and this lady came from behind and she just grabbed a hold of us and just started to shake us you know she and she i thought like you know the typical south african thinking like oh who's attacking me who's hijacking me or anything like that but um so i turned around and this lady said i want jesus you've got jesus i want jesus you know and i was thinking like now checking my shirt there was no like I love Jesus sign, no like fish on the head, no like halos, no sprinkling of water or robes or anything. And um, I couldn't figure it out, but I realized that in the greatest area of darkness, there God's light shines through his children. And, and, and that was a moment that changed my life so much. And three of these ladies committed their lives to Christ. And they said, for months they've been just saying, God, if you exist, send Christians to us. And the year, the bunch of us just come up and come to check out, not feeling very spiritual even, just going through the museum. And, and they come running up to us and say, hey, we, we want Jesus. I want Jesus. And that's the greatest compliment that somebody can give you if, if they say to you, you remind me of Jesus. I remember this trance party that Carmay and Lenin, all these people go to. There was a guy from, from Europe that came for one of these trance parties. And, and the whole weekend, he said later to us, the whole weekend he was walking past the tent. And um, on the Sunday around about 11 a.m., he didn't sleep for two nights because of all the drugs that he was using. And 11 a.m., he walked into the tent. And I'll never forget his words. He says, do you know what? One day I was in hospital and I read out of a black book. I think they call it the Bible. And I read something, I just opened it up, and, and there I read about a man called Jesus. And the whole weekend as I was walking past this tent, I thought, this must be Jesus' people. The way you treated people, the way you just loved people, the way you just, you know, because we don't put crosses on there, on the tent. We say, free dream interpretation. Okay. <laughs> physical healings you just have to speak it you know people come in there and say hey who's your medium oh we'll tell you who's our medium to the father jesus and they say oh nice 
Can I introduce you to that medium? Okay, there's no other way to the Father than through Jesus Christ. So, so we learned last week that when we are our disciples, we come to Jesus, we come to know Him. It's a, a connection that He introduces us to the Father, the heart of the Father. He came to show us the Father, and that was the first part of coming to Jesus, is to have an intimate relationship with Him. Not a religious, not a formula, not a rule-based, it's a relationship where you can go up to him and you come to follow him. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Come and follow me. But the first part is come. Before you follow, you must come. Again, we saw that was the first C, where we glorify him, we love God. We, we come to him because we come for him. We don't come for the breakthrough. We don't come because our lives are in a mess. That's not the primary. We come to meet with him. And when you go to the Middle East, I've had the privilege of being there sometimes not saying even a word, just sitting in a house. And, and I remember this one day we were just praying in Iran and God said, today you're not going to pray with words, you're going to pray with tears. And for four hours we just wept. But when you see the face of Jesus, when you've come to him, you will never look in somebody else's face. When you've seen those eyes that just burn through your soul, through your spirit, and you say, that's all you want. But unless you've come to that place, it's always just a bit of religion and doubt and all that stuff. But tonight there's an invitation for you to come to him. To look him in the eyes and say, God, it's you I want. I don't want all the experiences, those, those great experiences, those stuff around me. But when you're just with God, you've learned that. I'm here to surrender. You just give it. Because it's so easy because of what he's given to you. The second thing we saw when we come to be disciples is there's a cost involved. You have to say no to certain things. There's a denying of yourself because this flesh, this thing that's going to push daisies one day. Oh, that's a tough one, eh? And then he commits you, he challenges you to a place of holy living. A place of where you say, I'm going to be different, not for being fundamental, but because... I know that the things of this world doesn't satisfy me. I mean, I know that, that those things are all empty. I don't need to go there because I know who I am. That was the second thing. And then once we've come to count the cost, we've started to turn away, we repented, we said, God, I'm going to start to follow you. Then you learn that there's a call of Christ. There's a purpose, there's a place where God wants to start to use you in his kingdom. You get baptized and you start to grow and you start to say, Lord, I want to become a laborer. I don't want to become a couch potato, not a spectator. Not. I want to be a laborer in your kingdom. And there's nothing like seeing God use you. Where God, where God just ministers through you and you say, God, I'm a broken vessel. I'm a nobody, but God use me. And when the kingdom of God comes, when you realize I can be a co-laborer with Christ, when you suddenly realize not just who you are, but why you are here, sure, when you start to love people that just want to reject you, when you start to love people and just say, hey, God loves you, sure, doesn't matter what they say, they can't change you because you know who you are in Christ. Shake your neighbor next to you and say, hey, he's talking about you. So first we come, then we count the cost. Then we say, God, I want to say yes to the call of God on my life, on our lives together. And then it's going to take some commitment, some spiritual disciplines. Because to get to that call, 
you are here. God's call is over there. And sometimes it feels like, whoa, way beyond your reach. Because why? The flesh and the emotions needs to be transformed, needs to be renewed. You need to, by spiritual disciplines, learn to pray, to get into the Word, to have fellowship, to have communion, to, to learn how to fast. I, uh, I, when I just got saved, there was a lady, she was saved for two or three weeks, and, and she, she was really always, you know, we started fasting, and uh, I've never heard of fasting really, but we started to fast, and she always looked like so happy when we were fasting, and I thought like, I'm going to die a thousand deaths, you know, but you know, I, I, I've just woken up then, I'm already hungry, you know, how many of you are like that, you know, you just like, you know, if, if some people say the fast starts at 6 a.m., you up at 5, you're never up at 5. But then you eat like mad, you punch yourself, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, for some people, fasting isn't easy. But I thought, like, this girl, you are so, you are always so, so excited. So she, she's happy and joyful. And But after four or five months, I realized, no, I realized why, why she's so happy. Because she thought, like, hey, I'm going to just liquidize all my food. So she liquidized the steak, she liquidized the pumpkin, she just drank it. She thought like fasting is not eating, like just drinking stuff. You know, it's actually abstaining from food, okay? I hope I'm not shocking everybody. Or sometimes abstaining from television, from the internet, from Wi-Fi. Saying no to some stuff because you want to hear what God is saying. Solitude, we looked at all those things. So... Tonight we're going to focus a bit on community. And, um, and the, the basis of any community comes out of covenant relationships. Now today covenant, and the, the word covenant is a strange word for most Christians. Covenant is, according to the dictionary, Easton's Bible Dictionary that was written in 18, I think, 95, is a contract or a agreement between two parties. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word berith is always the translated. Berith is derived from a root word, means to cut, and hence a covenant is cutting. With reference to the cutting or dividing of animals into two parts, and the contracting part is passing between them in making a covenant. And the corresponding word in the New Testament Greek is diathiki, you can pronounce that first, the theology students here, which is, however, rendered testament generally, but it's also a cutting of covenant, and there's promises and oaths, and there's, it's almost like a spiritual agreement. And so when God talks in terms of relationship with us, it's always covenant. God doesn't start, understand any relationship with you and me outside of covenant. So we get some covenants like God made with Moses, with Noah, with Abraham. You know, the reason why we as the church are sitting here universally is because God made a, a promise, an oath, a covenant with Abraham. And um, Abraham was a bit, you know, he, he didn't even understand all that stuff. But God said, hey, like the stars in the heavens, like the sand, that's how your offspring is going to be. And, and so when, when he made a covenant, God actually cut the covenant with himself. He put the sacrifice, they would cut it in two, and then they walk a figure eight. So if two people would cut covenant in the Old Testament, they walk around, go figure eight, and then they'll come to face each other again. And then they would say some stuff like, if anybody, if you break this covenant, like this sacrifice is broken and cut in two, may you be cutting in, may you be cut in two. <laughs> we say it in our marriage covenants until Death to us part. So anything that will part us is death. 
And that's why the devil destroys marriages and relationships because he doesn't want, especially Christians, to walk in real covenant. Now, we are not supposed to cut covenant with each other in the sense of, hey, go cut your wrist, go and take the blood, walk figures eight and say, covenant buddy, you know? No, <laughs> okay? But because of, uh, of what Jesus has done, we have covenant with him and we are in covenant relationship with each other. And so when you walk in here tonight, it's not just another person that's sitting next to you or behind you. It is spiritual blood family. God doesn't see a bunch of individuals sitting here, each with a, oh, I'm going to try to figure it out. God looks at us through covenant. And that's why the strongest covenant in the New Testament is what we have with God, the new covenant, but then marriage is so important. And that's what the devil guns for. But then also, the relationship that God has with his church and the family of believers, you must know that the devil hates it because the most powerful thing on the earth that you can have with somebody else is to have spiritual agreement. And that's why in marriage God wants you to agree, but that's why also as the church God wants us to agree because the Lord says whatever you agree on, it will be established on the earth. But what is true for the light is also true for the darkness. So covenant relationships. Now here in Hebrews 10, when it talks about covenant family, covenant community, what is happening here tonight is not a show, it's not a just, hey, we're trying to play church. We are the church. You are the church. And our relationships defined by Christ brings us into family. In Hebrews 10 verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Hallelujah. How many of the men can say, praise God for the New Testament? Okay. Because in the Old Testament, the sign of covenant was something else called circumcision. I had a friend. He's an American now, but he couldn't speak Afrikaans. So he said, uh, he went to the hairdresser and he said, uh, Can I please get a circumcision? But he wanted to ask, is actually, he couldn't speak Afrikaans properly. And then the hairdresser thought, like, crazy. <laughs> Now everybody goes like, ooh, they're talking about those things in church. Yeah? <laughs> but let's embarrass you a little bit more. I can blush more than you. But do you know that's why sexual stuff is so, that's why the devil wants to ruin you sexually by just telling you, hey, you're just doing it. You're just like an animal. Just go and sleep around with other people. Because where did God cut covenant in the Old Testament? In a very intimate place. And it was with men. And so virginity was this amazing gift of covenant that God gave people. It's one of the most precious things you can have. And that's why there's always blood involved when you're going to have sexual intercourse for the first time. And it was always designed inside of marriage, inside of a real covenant. And God says now in the New Testament, I want to write that covenant in your heart. Where men, your word will be your word. Your yes will be your yes and your no will be your no. Where there will be no double-mindedness, but you'll be focused. And that's why God says, hey, be hot or be cold, but please with me, don't be in between. 
Don't compromise. Either be full in the world or be full following me because I don't understand. Covenant terms means, hey, you're there or you're there, but don't be religious. Don't play games with God. And that's why part of that covenant is a real deep place of your heart. And that's why New Testament talks about circumcision of the heart. God wants to circumcise our hearts. And this is what he says. And now verse 18, he says, Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So you didn't have no need to cut all the animals and all of that stuff. Although we like eating meat here in Africa. Amen. We need to slaughter some offerings. Uh, but that's just to eat. That's not to God's. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, he says, the way that we enter into this covenant, the way that we worship tonight, thank you, Esti, for that song that you sang, because it just confirms what I'm preaching on, is a freedom to enter in by the blood of Jesus. That veil was torn so that you and I can have a deep, intimate relationship with God. Not through a priest, not through the pastor, but you and the Holy Spirit with God. Amen? And this is what he's talking about. There's a boldness, he says, because there's a high priest over the house of God. If you didn't know that Jesus leads this church. I'm just fulfilling a function. Pastor James is just fulfilling a function. George, everybody here, I'm not leading the church. Jesus is. He's the shepherd. He's the high priest over this house. And that can you make you relax. I mean, because if I had to do it, well, I'll make a mess. Hallelujah. Because I can keep you busy the whole night of all the gemors, the gemors that I've done in my life. But he says, let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. So he says, when we have this relationship in community, we know that, hey, you're not an orphan, you're not a slave. You can run into the presence of God based on what Jesus has done. And he says there's a boldness to enter into that covenant. There's a boldness because it's not about you. It's about what he's done. But he wants to sprinkle your conscience because sometimes we have an overactive conscience that bugs you all the time. Because tonight maybe you try to worship and then everything says to you, oh, no, 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 you've done so bad. Oh, you masturbated a week ago. Oh, you've done this wrong. Just repent, bring it under the blood and say, God, I'm moving on (laughs) because it's not about me. Did he use the M word in church? (laughs) Well, nobody has ever done that. We're talking about people out there. It's getting very quiet, but hallelujah. Okay. (laughs) He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for you who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, that reflection of covenant will mean that some stuff will start to happen in your relationships with people around us. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking when we come together, meaning don't skip church, don't skip small group, because you don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because why? We need to exhort each other. We need to build each other up. We need to speak into each other's lives because you can't. Christianity is never a one-man show. I need other people to talk into my life. You need it whether you want to hear it or not. You have to. And that's what he says. Hey, this isn't like to like, ooh, who's better than the others? It's just simply 
when we come together, we are we're stirring each other up. We're hearing testimonies. We, we're looking at Lenny's hairdo and we say, whoa, you know, what is that line doing on, on your shirt, you know? And then it's like, oh, weird people. And then I look at some of your hairdo and I look at some of you that don't have hairdo and I think like, it's a bunch of weird people together. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about your hair. <laughs> okay, ready? We're gonna we're gonna pick up speed now. I'm I'm just finished with the introduction. Lock the doors. Hello, people up there. Hey, Josh, it's your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Felix, give him a kiss. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Okay, the Bible says, greet your brother with a holy kiss. I mean, well, now the rumors are going to run again. Okay. Okay, so, so when we come together, when we come together, there's something that happens. It's not just, it's not just an event. I want you to, to put up that consumer Christianity clip quickly. Not the rope one, the other one. We are the most resource generation of Christians the world has ever seen. We've got books, CDs, websites, TV shows, magazines, even cross-shaped candy, fresh breath in Jesus' name. We can buy any revelation, own the greatest worship experience, hear the top preachers, go to the biggest churches if you've got the cash to travel there. We treat Jesus as commodity. We buy the t-shirt, wear the jewelry, but we aren't changing anything for eternity. We're escaping, consuming, running, hiding, ducking from church to church, desperate in the search to find the best place to sit, relax, be fed, with comfy seats, inspiring preaching, leave with a smile on our face without actually changing. It's more blessed to receive than to give, or something like that. And so we accumulate whatever we can. We're overfed Christians, but our lives are bland. We're the top one percenters while the third world is burning. If we just shut off our podcasts and listen to the hurting, we add Jesus into our filled up lives. Is an optional extra, a trinket, an accessory. Yes, we are the center and our God is just our friend who we can call for a blessing or, or if we need a hand. And the church, his bride, well, we can take it or leave it because it's not about others. It's about how filled I'm feeling. We go to church and attend a church service, but we are the church and we gather with a purpose. Not for what we can get, but for what we can give because our God gave his all and that's maybe how we should live. Not consuming, producing, not absorbing, transforming, not receiving, but giving. And when we've given all, give again. Until there's nothing left, until that cup is empty, until we're poured out, and then, only then, are we ready. But when Jesus is a brand and church is just a shopping cart, maybe we need to sit back and have a look at our heart. We could be so much more. There's so much in the church in the West happening today, but it's actually just consumer cultural Christianity. And if we want to enter into covenant relationship, then it's not about what you can receive, but about what you can give. And that means that if you and I don't come from a position of fearing God and learning that that gift of Jesus is free. 
That grace is free. You cannot earn it. You cannot perform for it. You cannot do anything. But what should happen in your life is you should give everything away. To start in your heart. But see, what we do is we come and we don't know that we're taking that consumer culture and we're bringing it into our lives, into our friendships. We bring it straight in the middle of church. And then we say like, and I hear so many people say, oh, you know, your church is great, but you know what? It's too long. Because it doesn't, Chelsea plays man divided. <laughs> and I'm not going to live in the pool anymore if that one doesn't do that. And Because do you know what? I'm a consumer. And I come to church and I don't like that short guy in front, you know. He should have been half a meter longer. But, but, but you know, it, it's still hot. There are too many people sitting in this crowd. And we don't know that we come to God and then we say, God, me, 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 me. But God says at the principle, at the, at the center of our relationships with Him and with each other, there's this one thing called accountability. And that accountability means that I'm going to need to give an account of my life to Him for everything I did, everything I said, even every intention and motivation of my heart. That's what Scripture says. Every motivation of my heart? Lord! And one day when you stand before Him, there's going to be a massive screen and everything you did, everything you said is going to flash up on that screen for everyone to see. Woo! And there's going to be some parts, hallelujah, that just have censored over them. It's going to be just red, blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, I mean. <laughs> you know, there must be some of them. Because <laughs> it's getting very quiet in here. You know? People are like sweating, perspiring. But listen to what he says here in 1 John 1 verse 5 to 9. He writes to a group of people, and there were all isms going into the church, and especially consumerism. And then he says, he starts in verse 5, and he says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And then he goes on in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whoa. God's people are people of the light, because God is light, and in God there is no darkness. What does it mean if we say God is light? Then it means that God has got splendor and glory. The word for glory is kabot, the weight of God, the weight of His presence, the weight of His fullness. It means that God is self-revealing. He's not secretive. There's no suspicion around Him. When you come to Him, God clearly states to us who He is. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is magnificent. All the Afrikaans people, write that down. Okay, you missed me on the first one. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. God is not limited to space like we are. God has no God, no beginning, no end, and He doesn't need to be accountable to anybody because He's God. 
And so when you come to light, you have to realize God is light. And that means that yo, out of light shines purity and holiness. So in essence, although God would show his love, God is holy. And then light also talks about the guidance of God, the fact that he wants to show you where to walk to. You can jot down some of the scriptures in Ephesians 5. He says he's taken, you know, some of the scriptures, he's taken us out of darkness, darkness into his marvelous light. Say marvelous light. So there's nothing hidden from God, and that means that even sin in itself, God sees. Don't think God is not there when you sin. Don't think God like runs out of the room. Oh, pity, don't do that anymore. Angels, angels, is it, as you finish sinning, can I come back? We, we make as if God hides and is intimidated by darkness. He's not. When God comes, there's light. And that means that you and I can open up because... He wants to shine his light into every dark area in your life. It's called deliverance. He wants to not just forgive you. He wants to break the power of sin. Because sin means to miss the mark. Miss the purpose of God. To miss the bullseye. But you see, there are two kingdoms that work against each other in your life. The one is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And the other one is the kingdom of darkness. And if you want to be accountable... It means I'm going to need to learn to live and live in a community where all my weaknesses are known and I am not afraid of the light. I'm not afraid because I know the freedom in the light. I know the direction. I'm not intimidated by the light because the light cleanses, brings me to a place of freedom. And that's why repentance is so beautiful. That's why part, being part of a community. But you know what? If we are hypocrites, and that's the only people, except proudful people, that God resists. If we are hypocrites, we're always pretending because we're never real with each other. And that's what the world is. You know, oh, yeah, how was last night? Oh, wonderful. Oh, but you threw up all over the place. It wasn't that wonderful. No, it was wonderful. And let me say to these Christians, it's all right to have bad hair days. It's all right to not feel very spiritual. Just be honest about it. And when you come in that honesty and realness to God, then God shines his light into that area of your life and says, I'm going to set you free. He's going to set some people free here tonight. You see, when we have accountable relationships with each other. Now you have to listen very carefully. You can write this down and go and think about this. When we have accountable relationships with each other, we are not seeking comfort, but we are seeking holiness and truth. The world, and even in many churches, it's comfortable relationships. How can you be comfortable? How can I be comfortable? How's the coffee? How's the worship? No, I don't like that. It's too long. No, that guy talks too much. He's like, oh, no, no. God is not interested in your comfort. Sure, not many amens here, eh? And therefore, for Christians, when we pursue holiness and truth, it's not an intellectual experience. That's where theologians sometimes jump off the wagon, off the bus, what, you know? 
Because truth then always comes, goes into obedience and a moral code in your life. It changes you. Truth changes. Jesus said it in John 8, verse 31 and 32. When you abide in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you miserable. No, the truth shall set you free. Okay. <laughs> so, firstly, truth needs to be discovered when you bring all of you into the light before God and before each other. <laughs> and that is a scary place to go. Most people in the world don't want to go there because we are afraid of rejection. We are afraid of being branded as failures. We are we are afraid of shame. And you know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is I've done stuff wrong. Shame is when people say, you are wrong. There's something wrong with you. And so the world shames us. And people run away because they don't want to be shamed. They, 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 they'll cover everything. They'll drink themselves over a mic, over a mic, over a whatever. They will lie in the streets, but as long as nobody will shame me. But Scripture says that Jesus despised the shame. That's why we're the only real religion and relationship where a God comes to shame and take our shame upon himself publicly, hanging naked on a cross, and says, look here, Everything you're going through, I identify with that. All the pain, all the suffering, all the sin. And that will mean that my truth that I discover and when I walk into the light with God and with each other means that I'm going to begin to serve. I'm going to begin to lay down my life for my friends because there's no greater love. Isn't that what Jesus said? There's no greater love. But in the kingdom of darkness, it's all about comfort, individualism, consumerism, entitlement, greed, lust, and I want to be served. But it's two kingdoms that collide, and they will collide in your heart. They'll collide in your life, because you know what? There's something inside of us, that, that old nature, I want to be served. I've checked some Christians, you know, when there's waiters serving them. We're sitting at a table, and I, and I just, I can check your relationship with God by the way you treat that waiter. That's why I love inviting people just to go to the restaurant, and all I do is I observe, how do you treat that waiter? Do you treat that waiter just as another person? I want my food. It's not hot enough. I want it now. There's not enough this on the window. Don't you come quickly enough? Because why? I want to be served. And I'm paying for it. I don't care whether you're a person. Oh, and then we don't even talk about the Zimbabwean petrol attendant. Come. I'm on my way. We're going to the beach. Quick, 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 quick. quick. Oh, I'm not going to tip him. I'm definitely not going to tip him. He's too lazy. Oh. But maybe you should just walk up and say, Molo Tata, Oh, Unjani. Huh? And Kosi Kakulu. Thank you very much. But you see, you can reflect the character of Christ comes out in those moments when you are being served or when you serve. Sure. And so I want to challenge you. Are you a real Christian? 
Listen to this in Galatians 6, verse 2 and 3. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So what does it mean practically for you and I? Practically it means that you're going to need to... You need to start to walk in a relationship with other people that is going to sometimes freak you out a little bit. It's called covenant relationships. You're going to need to learn that, hey, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a nothing. If anyone thinks of himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. There's some of you that think, well, I don't need that. You know, I can play church church. Oh, you're deceived. That's what scripture says. Don't think of yourself. Oh, I can make it on my own as a Christian. Uh-uh. God has called a community and a family for you to belong, for you to be able to give of yourself, for you to come into accountability where the light can shine. And sometimes it's not lacquer because, hey, you want to go and fix your life on your own. But God says, uh-uh, come to me, come to me. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to, I'm going to change you. I'm going to, why? Because there's an eternity at mine. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a day where we're going to stand before him, not be condemned, but be part of the, Wedding of the, of the massive Lamb of God. This amazing moment. But that means in your relationship, you're going to need to learn to trust. You're going to need to learn to be real, authentic, honest. You're going to need, need to bring our brokenness and our weaknesses before each other and say, hey, okay, I'm wrong. Oh, I mean, how many of you, that's so difficult to say. For me, it's so difficult to say. Sorry. Okay, can all the men say, sorry, 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 sorry. Maybe we start a song, Esti. Sorry. Don't look at Stefan like that, as if you've never said that word. She's just like, oh, say it. It's so beautiful of your lips. She was like, it's like worship to my ears. Huh? James Ryder, it's a song. Sorry, 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 sorry. You know, it's like, I don't know, but anyway, so... Sure, before we had smartphones in, in a sense of, you know, Google Maps. Woo, my wife and I. Maps, oh, oh, don't put a husband and a wife together with maps. Like the big fold-out ones. So we flew up to Johannesburg. Now there are two, like, roads out of that airport. We're driving 15 minutes already. We're, we're almost late for an appointment. And I look at Durban. This bored Durban. And we're supposed to go to Pretoria. So I think we're in the wrong direction. So now we stop next to the highway. Pull out the map. Can't you read a map? That's what I'm saying to my wife, Louise. Just didn't you study the map? No, we just got the map. Well, you should have done it long ago. We're in the wrong direction. Now we straight over the dashboard. Everybody's hooting. Everybody stop right there. Now we're trying to figure out. That was just at the time when all the roads changed. From Jan Smuts Drive to Butelezi Drive to Mandela Drive. So the map was still in old South Africa. <laughs> Can't you read the map? Yeah. No, no, you, I'm beyond, eventually, we tear up the map, I think it's the only big, small argument we've ever had, you know, P, 
pieces of map, both jump out of the car, stand next to the car. Duck lip, sick lip. And we realize, we're going nowhere. Yeah? And that's exactly what we do with God, with each other. We get offended, we get other stuff, and then God says, hey, I want the light to shine. And that light starts with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But many of us have been hurt in relationships. So when I speak about trust, trust God. Oh my God, no, there's no way. Run away. And I say, be real. Because the world doesn't live in this place. I want you to put that scripture on 1 John 1 verse 7 to 9 again. We're going to read it together because that's what he's talking about. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Fellowship, darkness, light, truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in life, we have fellowship with one another. So the fellowship doesn't come out of we trying to be cool buddies. The fellowship comes because we know light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, so, so tonight, we're talking about something very simple. Community, family, covenant relationships, and accountability. I want you to throw that last video clip just of that rope. And then we're going to pray. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. You're consumed with that. You're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about, what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible enjoying myself as much as I can. Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. So I'm going to forget about all the stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. Here's some people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that 
right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb? So why do we live as if there is no eternity? God says he's written eternity in your heart. Why do we live as if, if I can just be comfortable here? And the modern day gospel is like, hey, God is really here to serve you. God is really here to make you happy. He's here to make me happy. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is here. I'm here to glorify him. I'm here to live for him. And God is raising up a generation in this place right here. I can see all of them sitting here. That is beginning to say, God, there's eternity in my heart. When I study, I'm going to study for you. When I play, I'm going to play for you. But I'm not going to waste my life. When I serve, I'm going to serve you. I'm not saying that God is not interested in us hiking up the mountain and having times of rest and times of refreshing. But that can't be all you're doing. Because you learn that there's an accountable day, a day when you're going to stand before Him. And that's why the church cannot be void of the fear of God. So I'm going to invite you, where you are, and I'm going to, I want you to consider this. Because we're going to do something practical now. I want, you, I want to ask you are, are you, are you willing to trust? Are you willing to first start with God in that way, but then also with a group of other people where it's not just about our comfort, it's not just about our nice times. If you're going out, if you're in a relationship, hey, get some place to serve. I was talking to one of our small group leaders. I don't know if Ben and Izel is here. Are you here? I think I saw Ben here. Is Izel here? Izel, come here. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. But, but Izel and Ben is running a small group. And she's a medical doctor. She's got four kids and adopted one other kid. I, wanna, I want you to tell them what happened last night. I, I know I didn't brief you. Just, just two minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been um, reading... I've been reading a book um, about um, Jill, uh, Bill Johnson, um, and it's called Defining Moments. It's really just about, um, yeah, spiritual heroes, basically, and um, what defined their lives, what happened in their lives to actually, yeah, created an encounter with the Lord for them to really grow. And, um, and it's people like Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake, and I mean, there's just these people that are just praying over dead people and they wake up and they, um, yeah, they just walk somewhere and as their shadow just touches people, they get healed. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all of that is, is for all of us. So, um, yeah, and my, my practice, my, um, my children also know that, um, 
one day my little one was sick and I told him that um, we first we're going to do this and then we'll do that and then I'll we'll draw, um, take some blood and then we'll take you to the pediatrician. And so he said, oh, so you're going to take me to a real doctor? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm also a doctor. And he said, no, you're not a doctor. You just pray for people. And um, so that's what's been happening over a, a while now um, in my practice. I um, treat them as a, as a normal doctor would, but I, I really trust the Lord just to know what to to pray for and to just look in the, the spiritual side of things and so that people can really get healed, um, spirit, soul, and body. Um, yeah, and basically last night I um, I was just contemplating um, what to do um, later um, the, the evening um, and just thinking how I yeah, how can I also just spend more time with the Lord and, and have that encounter. And then all of a sudden, um, one of my patient's parents phoned, and he said his daughter is in agony. Um, she's been uh, my patient for a little while, and um, yeah, he doesn't know what to do, and they don't have medical aid, so we really don't have medical options. She's got cancer. And um, yeah, in the end, I <laughs> I was just <laughs> flat on my face for three hours, just really praying and interceding for her. And every 20 minutes, he would send a WhatsApp and say, okay, this has been happening. I'm like, thank you, Lord. And then he would um, send another WhatsApp, and then there's something else that's, you know, that we sort of backtrack and going worse again, and then it would go better. And um, in the end, I, um, I just told him I really felt that I need to just audibly pray for them as well. So they had me on speakerphone, and this poor patient is screaming and moaning in pain, and I just tell her parents, just lay hands on her, and let's just, let's just continue to pray. And then I, obviously, I don't know what to pray, so I just pray in tongues, and as the Spirit leads me, I would pray for specific organs or specific things that need to be addressed, and then I'll just pray in the Spirit again, and um, then the line gets cut off, and then we try again, and... Um, yeah, but eventually she was able to sleep well, and she had such a huge testimony this morning of lots of breakthrough that she had. Um, yeah, and I think it's just being faithful, and for all of us, we all have a specific purpose, and we all called for something specifically, whether you're going to be an accountant one day, when you're going to study medicine, when you're going to be a petrol jockey, whatever, um, but to run that race to the fullest, and we have, yeah, we can really impact people. Amen. So, thanks, Giselle. That's a mom with five kids, small group leaders. Ben is head of the Beer Lichom at Eikestad Primary. What an example of a couple that's just saying, God, we're not here for comfort. We're here to see the kingdom of God come. What's your excuse? I'm not talking about busyness. I'm not talking about performing. I'm just asking you, are you willing to live in covenant relationships? Are you and I willing to walk in the light? And sometimes we have one fish, sometimes we have five fishes, but will you bring that fishes to God? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.